This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss proposed regulatory changes in the nutraceutical industry with supplement maker Joel Thuna. We'll talk about fasting and the aging process with author and wellness advocate Greg Lindbergh. We'll find out about trends in men's health with registered dietitian Nicole Osinga. And lastly, we'll learn what it's like to be a senior living with type 2 diabetes with Monique Laframbois. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. When you're stressed, a high-calorie snack may seem like a comforting go-to, but this combination has an unhealthy downside. According to scientists at the Galvin Institute of Medical Research in Sydney, Australia, stress combined with calorie-dense comfort food creates changes in the brain that drives more eating, boosts cravings for sweet, highly palatable food, and leads to excess weight gain. Researchers found that stress overrode the brain's natural response to satiety, leading to non-stop reward signals that promote eating more highly palatable food. This occurs in a part of the brain called the lateral habenula, which when activated, usually dampens these reward signals. Have scientists found the fountain of life? A study out of the Columbia University Irving Medical Center finds that deficiency of taurine, a molecule produced in our bodies, drives aging, and taurine supplements can improve health and increase lifespan in animals. For the last 25 years, scientists have been trying to find factors that not only let us live longer, but also increase health span, the time we remain healthy in our old age. The study's leader, Vijay Yadiv, says, This study suggests that taurine could be an elixir of life within us that helps us live longer and healthier lives. Keeping track of everything you eat and drink in a day is a tedious task that is tough to keep up with over time. Unfortunately, dutiful tracking is a vital component for successful weight loss. However, a new study out of the University of Connecticut finds that perfect tracking is not needed to achieve significant weight loss. It turns out you don't need to track 100% each day to be successful, says lead scientist Ren Chu. Specifically, in this trial, we find that people only need to track around 30% of the days to lose more than 3% of their weight, 40% of their days to lose more than 5% of their weight, or almost 70% of the days to lose more than 10% of their weight. The key point here is that you don't need to track every day to lose a clinical significant amount of weight. I'll be joined by Joel Thuna in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Do you use vitamins, supplements, or other natural health products like natural toothpaste and deodorant as part of your daily health and wellness routine? If yes, what I'm about to tell you needs your immediate attention. Health Canada is proposing new regulations that will have a devastating impact on the natural health product industry. If the changes Health Canada is proposing goes through, many of the brands you use will see dramatic price increases or stop existing in Canada altogether. Stop Health Canada from taking away our natural health products and help to keep these products on shelves by writing a letter to your MP through saveoursupplements.ca. 
It takes less than a minute. Joel Thuna, MH, is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. It's been a while, and I'd like to say I would welcome him back more heartily if it wasn't for such serious matters, but we've got some serious, a serious topic to cover today, Joel, and you're the man to cover it. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I, I'll be honest. It's great to be back here, but I wish it were under happier circumstances. Exactly. So we're talking about proposed regulations from Health Canada regarding natural products. Yep. And this is probably news to everybody that's listening, but it is very serious. So let's dive right into it. You got it. What are the natural health products that are regulated? by Health Canada, just to start, like what are they so we can define them? According to Health Canada, we'll use their definition, natural health products are, quote, naturally occurring substances that are used to restore or maintain good health. Now, for normal humans, we call them supplements. These can include vitamins, minerals, herbs, homeopathic products, traditional medicines, which are considered your traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic, proteins, amino acids, and here's the kicker most people don't know, Toothpastes, deodorant, mouthwash, and many shampoos. And just so you understand the total of that, according to UBC, the market in Canada for all those combined, and remember, it includes toothpaste, deodorants, mouthwashes, and shampoos, is about $2.3 billion a year in Canada. In Canada. In Canada. It's not small, but you hear that number and you go, oh my God, I didn't know. But you have to remember, the vast majority, well over 70% of all the companies in that sphere are all what are considered small businesses or what you and I might consider mom and pop operations with less than 10 employees. So relatively small companies dominate percentage-wise the number of companies in the industry. Okay, so the natural health products, let's do a little bit of history. Were Were they always regulated by Health Canada? Yes, they've always been regulated by Health Canada. Before 2004, they were always regulated as drugs. They were not regulated the same as injectables or behind-the-counter drugs, but they were always regulated as drugs. They were regulated as over-the-counter drugs. So very similar in regulation to what you might see uh, ASA or Tylenol or something like that. What happened was in the early 2000s, Health Canada attempted to severely restrict what supplements were available to Canadians, and there was a massive outcry. We're we're talking protests in most major cities. Everyone went to see their MPs, and it caused a, a big poop storm. What ended up happening then was Parliament said, okay, we don't want this. They had several years of consultations across the country, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people got involved, regular everyday Canadians, and there was testimony before Parliament. I was one of the people who did that. And at the end of it, we got new regulations that came down. They became law in 2004, and they were dedicated to natural health products. And the whole point behind them, according to the government, was that they recognized both the safety and the value of natural health products to Canadians. Okay. Before we talk about the problems with the proposed legislation and and what that means to you as a manufacturer and what it means to the Canadian public, let's just sort of deal with the regulations as they now exist. Okay. Are there benefits to those regulations? Do you see that side of the coin? Oh, heck yeah. I was one of the people in industry who was pushing for regulations. The benefit of the regulations, both to the industry and to Canadians as a whole, is massive. What it gives us 
as the industry is a, a very, very specific set of guidelines that we have to stay within. And that's really good for Canadians because what it does is it ensures that Canadians have access to products that they know are safe and effective. And that's a great thing. You don't have to worry because if you see that NPN number on the side of a package, you know that Health Canada has said, yep, this is good. It's safe. It's effective. We understand where it's made. We understand how it's handled. We know all this and we approve. That's the big thing. We approve. I remember the fallout from the 2004 legislation because I started publishing in 2007 and it was st- it still existed, right? You had yep. a number of companies who were required to get their NPN numbers yep. and they were grandfathered for their existing product. Yep. If they chose not to get their NPN, they could still sell it until their existing stock ran out. And there were various reasons why some of these companies decided they didn't want to get their NPN number. Either they didn't have the resources to go through the procedure to get it or in some cases... <laughs> Some of the efficacies they were touting actually couldn't be proven, and that's a rare occasion, but there was a lot of fallout in that a lot of those companies or their products don't exist anymore. Correct. One of the biggest changes that happened when that incurred was you had to prove safety and efficacy to Health Canada's requirements, yep. you had to make sure that you had enough of active ingredients in your product. Right. And if you look around the world, that is a huge problem in most jurisdictions, but not in Canada. For example, if you look in the United States, and I have conversations with American retailers all the time, and they go, well, what about this product that sells on our shelf today? And I say, that would never be legal in Canada. There's not enough active in it. So yeah, you're marketing based on this ingredient saying that it can do this, but you'd have to take 40 capsules to get a daily dose. It's ridiculous. In Canada, we don't have that issue. If the product has an MPN, there's enough of active in it that it's going to work. Okay. So let's talk about how products are currently regulated. Like, so for example, if you had a new product that you wanted to bring out, what are the steps that you have to take in order to get that MPN number? Oh, yeah. Without going too far inside baseball, (laughs) because it would take too long. Yeah, yeah. For a product to be legally sold in Canada... It has to have a product license, which is that NPN, which stands for natural product number, on the package. And for that, you have to first go back and say that the product was manufactured, packaged, labeled, or imported, already done. Those all have to be licensed as well. So what has to be approved is this. All ingredients, the product formula, product claims, product cautions, product names as well as the product label itself. On top of that, where it's produced, how it's produced, the method it's produced, where it's stored, and where it's distributed all has to be approved by Health Canada prior to the products being sold in Canada. And that's a big kicker. Many other jurisdictions have requirements to be approved, but it's post-market approval, so after you're already selling. In Canada, we went with, you have to be approved before you can sell anything. And as a manufacturer, I know that there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. Like that's a lot in order to bring your products to market. But I think it's a system that you can work within and there's benefits to you because you have that credibility of having Health Canada NPN number on it, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Essentially, we have to go through, we have to first get the site license. So Health Canada has to approve our facility where we manufacture. They have to approve every aspect and only every aspect. 
how the building's built, how we lay out our machinery, how we train our staff, right down to how we even wash our hands and what we wear and don't wear. Anything they feel can possibly have an effect on product quality is regulated. Once we have that, then we can start applying for product licenses. Right. Then, to apply for a product license, you have to talk about every ingredient, why it's in the formula, how much is in the formula, the rationale behind the formula itself, (laughs) evidence of safety and efficacy both for each ingredient and for the product itself, and we have to provide label copy to them for them to approve, including claims, cautions, the name. And the big thing people have to remember is Health Canada currently can reject a license based on any one of those points. It's not a system where you have to have 70% or 60%. No, no. It's 100% or it's not approved. That's it. All right. So we have this paradigm that's set up. Now let's talk about these changes that are being proposed on top of what already exists. Can you give us a summary of of what Health Canada is proposing? Sure. The current system is complex, expensive, and difficult to comply with, but we're okay with that. It's slow, but we're okay with that. Health Canada now wants to price and regulate supplements out of existence. What they're planning on doing is bringing in a suite of new fees. And we're not talking one or two. It's a raft of them. They want to charge everyone involved in bringing a natural health product to consumers, other than the actual store itself, everyone else, fees just for the right to exist. That is manufacturers, packagers, importers, and distributors. And it's not a one-time fee. They want to do it each and every year. And then for every product, each and every year. And I want people to understand this. Health Canada wants hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars from our industry every year. It's not satisfied with the $6.7 billion it got from Canadian taxpayers this year. It wants more and more and more. Health Canada is growing in size and expense, and they want to do it on the backs of our industry, which in turn is going to be on the backs of Canadian consumers. So what are the impacts of these proposed fees and levies? Like for you, let's let's talk about what it means to you in terms of, of the manufacturing. Okay. Well, we're a small business. You know that. Yep. We're, we're small. We're a family-owned, family-run business. And we make everything we sell. We have all our in-house regulatory. We do everything in-house because that's just how we do it. But it's not uncommon in the industry. And just for looking at things, Health Canada wants to charge every company in the wholesale supply chain up to 23071 it's a very specific number, dollars each year just for the right to exist. Nothing else. So that's $23,000 pure expense out the door. On top of that, they want to charge each individual supplement license $500 each year. So you've got that. Then on top of that, if we wanted to go and apply for a new product license, because our industry is based, and you know this, it's based completely on new innovations, new clinical trial comes out, and you want to come out with a nice, effective product based on new information, the fee to apply can be as high as $58,000. And the problem is Health Canada not only wants to charge just a tick under sixty grand for the right to apply, not to get the license, just to apply for it, they also want to extend the time it takes to get the license. So they want us to pay more or an exorbitant sum to get worse service. That one doesn't make sense to me. And some small businesses have calculated, I've, I've had conversations with some friends of mine that are in the industry as well, that this is going to cost over $300,000 
each and every year. On top of that are the other fees, which we'll get to a little later. But the end result is most brands will end up leaving Canada. And the few brands that are left, you're going to see massive cost increases, and those are going to have to be passed on to consumers. There's, there's no choice. You can't take a hit in the six-figure mark and not have it hurt. The big thing also is it's going to end up for some of the brands that do stay that they're going to end up having to water down their products to minimize the amount of increase they're going to have to put into their product, the cost-wise. And we haven't even got to the packaging, and that's sort of like a hidden cost, yep. as you were. Can you explain that one? So Health Canada put forth a proposal that's now going into regulation, which is, it's called simplified labeling or simple labeling. They want to standardize labeling for natural health products. So you pick up two products and they look very similar, whereby now you've got branding and all that other fun stuff. The problem is to standardize it, it ends up that you have to massively increase your label size. For what I'm saying, for example, we looked at it, One of our products right now, we have 30 capsules in a bottle. It's in a standard, regular vitamin bottle per se. We're going to have to quadruple the size of the bottle. Still put the 30 capsules in, but quadruple the size of the bottle. And that's increased cost for packaging, increased cost for shipping, and it's nasty to the environment. It truly is. On top of that, it's the actual cost to redesign every single label. That redesigning, and then those labels have to get approved again by external agencies, that cost structure, we peg at about $200,000. All right. So let's discuss the efficacies of these changes. Does it make the supplements any safer? Nope. Absolutely not. Health Canada right now controls through their processes of current regulation. They control essentially... Approval for every step and everything in our products and how we manufacture. If they have a single issue on anything, they have their choice of pulling the product from the market or shutting us down. And they can do that on literally 10 seconds notice. They don't need to go to court. They don't need anything. They don't need any new powers. They can do it today without issue. How do you think the changes will impact the consumer? Clearly, it's impacting you. But other than price increases, what else are we looking at in terms of the consumers? Well, our industry did a survey and found that 70% of companies currently selling in Canada would pull out of Canada. That's 70%. That is the majority of what you see on store shelves gone. What the brands that will stay have found, it's going to reduce the number of products they sell dramatically. And every product they sell will go up substantially. In addition, the other big thing is your little local health food store won't be able to survive. The reason they won't is you lose 70% of what's on their shelf. There's nothing left. Yep. They can't make it economically. If listeners are concerned, what should they do? First thing you want to do is go to a website called saveoursupplements.ca. On there, you'll find that there is a template. It takes under one minute to fill in to send to your local MP telling them this concerns you and you want action done. After you've done that, what I did and what I'm telling people to do is to call your member of parliament and let them know this is not something simple. You're concerned. You really, really want this fixed. You want them to do their job and fix this so that you can have your supplements. And lastly, what I would say to do is talk to your local health food store, supplement store, gym, fitness studio, etc. Tell them what's going on so they can tell their members because it matters to their members. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today uh, to explain that. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I appreciate it. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss fasting and the aging process on The Tonic. Lumia is a premier eye surgery center that offers a full range of vision correction options with the most cutting edge technology and elective eye procedures like LAL, a revolutionary adjustable cataract procedure. Co-founded by two of the top surgeons in Canada, Lumia is a team of ophthalmologists, optometrists, and eye care professionals dedicated to delivering a best-in-class patient experience that provides better vision without the use of glasses or contact lenses. For more information, visit www. Would you like to stay younger longer? Lifelong Labs can help you prioritize your health, mind and body to keep you living longer, healthier and happier. Lifelong Labs provides you with an exceptional take on fasting, exercise, nutrition and cold exposure that gives you transformational results. Lifelong Labs has the secret to reversing aging. Join the Lifelong Labs community. Visit www.lifelonglabs.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Greg Lindbergh is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, and author turned wellness advocate. He attended Yale University, where he completed his bachelor's degree in economics in 1993. He's acquired and transformed more than 100 companies that were either failing or underperforming and are now worth billions of dollars. His experiences and challenges as a business leader inspired him to author two books, Failing Early and Failing Often, How to Turn Your Adversity into Advantage, published in 2020, and 633 Days Inside, Lessons on Life and Leadership, published in 2022. For the last few years, his mission has been focused on helping people reach their ultimate potential through wellness, longevity, and leadership, housing all these initiatives under his new brand called Lifelong Labs. Welcome to the show, Greg. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So how did you develop your passion for wellness and longevity? How did that come about? That's a great question. I've always been interested in wellness and longevity, and it really hit home for me when I was sentenced to an 87-month prison term, which was later vacated, and I was released when the convictions were thrown out. I was sitting there thinking, I've got 87 months. How do I turn that time back? How do I turn back the clock of time? How do I get 87 months back? And I realized I had to come up with an anti-aging program. So by the time I got out, which unfortunately was only 633 days, 21 months, not 87 months, I'd be younger than the day I walked in. And miraculously, uh, after studying all the literature and reading thousands of medical journal articles, while I was sitting in in a prison cell, I was able to come up with a program that quite literally has reversed aging. Okay. So maybe we'll bring you back another day and we can discuss your your jail term. In my previous incarnation, I was a litigator. So there may be some synergies there. So did you actually start your wellness journey while you were incarcerated or did it happen after? Well, it's a great question. I was studying before I went in. I was really studying something called the sirtuin activating compounds, which are the compounds that activate when you're hungry. And the the latest longevity research is all about these things. NAD is an example of them, NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide. All these compounds are really what we call sirtuin activating compounds. They activate mitochondrial biogenesis and neurogenesis. And there's a lot of compounds you can take. On the outside, you can, today you can get NAD injections. Of course, when you check into a federal prison, none of that's available. You're lucky to get vitamins. So I had to create old-fashioned, without any compounds, 
a way to achieve this longevity. And all the sirtuin activating compounds, they have one thing. They're hunger mimics. They mimic the feeling of being hungry. So I decided it's really simple. I'll just restrict my calories. I don't have the compounds to restrict my calories. I'll just do it manually and stop eating. So that's what I did, and the results were amazing. So are you talking about sort of fasting or, you know, time-triggered fasting? Is that what you're talking about? Precisely. Calorie restriction has been studied in tens of thousands of studies and medical journal articles. And calorie restriction and intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating and long fasting, all these different names for it, comes down to one thing. When you move from a glucose metabolism to a ketogenic metabolism and you start to burn your triglycerides, which is your fat, instead of your sugar, your body repairs itself. It's quite simple. We all have a built-in repair mechanism. Every one of us, we just have to stop eating for at least 24, maybe 48 hours to burn up all that glucose. It really helps if you exercise. That burns your energy as well. It burns the glucose faster. And you move to the ketogenic state, the ketogenic metabolism faster, and your body repairs itself through a process of mitophagy, which is a repair of the mitochondria, through autophagy, which is a repair of the cell. And these little organelles in the cell called the mitochondria, they come to life when they're starving. When they're, when they're fed fat and they sense starvation, bacteria come to life. Bacteria are actually immortal. Bacteria, there's a lot of studies on them. The mitochondria are actually ancient bacteria that got assumed into the cell. So all this stuff happens. When you simply stop eating. Okay, so when you say, when you throw out a phrase like stop eating, I want to understand better what that means because it's going to mean different things to different people. What does it mean to Correct. you? Are you doing the intermittent fasting or are you doing straight up fasting? So when I say stop eating, the key to fasting is to uh, embrace the principle of hormesis. And hormesis is defined as a stress on the body that doesn't kill you. And so if this, if this ultimately kills you, you stop eating forever, you're going to die, right? Or you can stop eating for 30 days, you might die. So they've done studies up to 10 days, very safe for most people. Of course, don't do any of this without consulting your physician. The punchline is the program I developed, I started doing 24-hour, then I went to 48-hour water-only fast, and then I went to 66, 72. And by the end, within about six months, I was doing 96 hours a week. And to make it easy, I do 90 hours a week. I've done, this week, I'm on my 97th consecutive 90-plus hour per week fast. For the last 97 weeks, I fasted 90 hours a week. Uh, so that's like 8,000 hours of fasting totally. And I literally had gray hair when I started this process. My hair is dark red naturally now. Okay. Um, I mean, my body has been transformed to that of maybe a late 30-year-old at age 53 here. Okay, so you've talked about the fasting. What are you eating when you, when you finally get to it? It's really important to be very scientific about your feast because you haven't eaten anything in four days, and your body's very sensitive. With the nutrient exposure is the 10x. If you take 100 milligrams of vitamin C, it's like taking 10,000. Your body is starving, so it, everything is magnified. So you've got to be very careful. You've got to do your food intolerances, your food allergies. So I tailor my feast to exactly what my current food intolerances are and my food allergies are. So I get my blood tested every couple months to assess all that with a really good 250-panel uh, food allergy test and food intolerance test. Uh, lots of proteins and uh, no sugar. I don't, zero sugar. Are you on a ketogenic diet or are you eating everything? It's not ketogenic. No, it's just um, I cut out dairy. I cut out sugar. I cut out, I mean, I, I eat a lot of complex carbohydrates. You know, a lot of vegetables and those kinds of things, but sugar is very hard. When you when you eat sugar during your feast, 
starting your fast is like coming off a drug. You get depressed, you get cranky, you get angry, uh, you can't sleep. And if you don't do any sugar while you're on your feast, I mean, none, not honey, not anything, not even, you know, not even the fake sugars, like monk fruit. You only do a couple pieces of fruit, that kind of thing. It's a much easier transition from feast to fast because sugar is highly addictive. Okay. So how quickly, so you say you went from gray to red hair, and I presume there's other changes to your physique as well. How quickly did those changes come once you started this regimen? That's a great question. I had uh, periodic limb movement disorder, which is the shaking of the legs, and it was pre-Parkinson's. I was taking a heavy dose of Mirapex when I checked into prison. Within six months of doing these 90-hour-week fasts, I came off that medicine and the dopamine receptors in my neurons had been fully repaired by mitochondrial biogenesis. So it was six, about six months, a major, major health change. I mean, I don't take any prescriptions now, you know. And so it's, it's about six months, and about that same amount of time, six months into it, I saw a hair growing out of my head that was gray on the tip and dark red at the base. And that was my eureka moment. It's like, holy cow. I asked a good friend, I was like, what is the incontrovertible, give me one incontrovertible piece of evidence that this anti-aging program works. And he said, without, without question, when your gray hair turns red. And I said, this is it. Here, I pulled that hair out. I kept it. Here's a piece of hair that's growing in. New hair is red. Old hair is gray. And now today, I mean, I probably have a few gray hairs left, but it's, you can't even see it anymore. It's crazy it, how well this works. So how shall I put this? I'm going to play devil's advocate for a bit. The type, the type of the type of fasting that that you're recommending, the people who would subscribe to lifelong labs and, and enter into the process and, and and whatever, are the expectations that they should be fasting for as long as you are? Is that the plan? No, like, no, I, and that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Any any amount of fasting, just like any amount of exercising, is important. Get out and just do a daily walk. Just eat one meal a day. Do do the eighteen six, eighteen hours of fasting, yeah. six hours of meals. Any little bit, life is incremental. Any little bit helps. I think an 18-hour fast and a six-hour feast period per day will add 10 or 20 years on your life. That's what the studies say. I think a two-day fast, if you do a one-week, 48-hour fast, I think that'll add many decades on your life. And if you go 60, 70 hours a week, that'll start to reverse aging. And at 90 hours a week, very extreme, and it took me a year to get up to that level, or longer, you can actually see month to month the reversing of the aging. You can see your wrinkles going away on your skin. You can see the collagen coming back. I had a divot on my nose that's filling in because there's more collagen. You can see the hair turning your natural color again. You can see your muscles getting sharper, your brain getting sharper from the neurogenesis. Everything's working better. Your testosterone going up if you're a man. It's profound. Time for one last question, and that is if somebody's interested in what we're discussing today, what is the best way to get more information? Where should they go? My, my goal as an advocate, I'm not trying to make any money. You can go to my website and download my book for free at, at greglindberg.com. My goal is to spread the word on this and to help people achieve their inner greatness. So one thing I noticed when I was in a federal prison, there's a greatness within every single one of us. And that greatness starts with health and wellness. So the information's out there. I've done a bunch of videos. There's a free book download. Start small. Start today. It's, it's transformational. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. That was Greg Lindbergh. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss trends in men's health on The Tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Nicole Osinga is a registered dietitian with the College of Dietitians of Ontario and holds a bachelor's and master's degree in human nutrition. She can be seen sharing nutrition tips, helpful tools, and trustworthy resources on national print and television outlets, including Global Morning Show and W Network. Nicole's practice areas include women's health, digestive health, diabetes, cancer, and finding balance within it. Hi, Nicole. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, Jamie. I'm good. Thanks for having me again. So last time you were on the show, we talked about women's health issues, and I thought it's only fair because approximately half of our listeners are male, that we talk about trends in men's health. You up for the task? Absolutely, I am. Here we go, then. Are there any gender-based differences in how alcohol consumption can impact men versus women? If so, how? Yes, it's a good question. And I think, you know, what we're seeing, too, is the general population is trying to sort of reduce their alcohol intake. But, you know, in terms of alcohol intake in men versus women, alcohol will affect women a little bit quicker, short term, and potentially have, you know, longer lasting effects and potentially more long term negative health effects, typically. So, yeah, it is definitely interesting. And that, that's due to, you know, uh, the water content um, in a woman's body um, and a few other mechanisms there. But, yeah, yeah, in general, yeah, we're definitely seeing sort of a, a decline or, or people wanting to reduce their alcohol consumption in the general population. Okay, so focusing on men specifically, what would be the immediate health improvements if mm-hmm. someone were to quit or limit their alcohol intake? Absolutely. So, you know, if we were to limit or quit our alcohol intake, we're probably going to see a lot more restful sleep. You know, even if we're sort of getting the same hours of sleep after consuming alcohol, you know, without alcohol, we're actually getting into more of that REM um, sleep where we actually truly recover. We're going to feel more energized the next day and potentially that's going to impact our lifestyle choices. You know, if we feel like we have more energy, we're more likely to engage in physical activity as well as, you know, a reduction in dehydration. If we're really limiting alcohol intake and that can affect things like digestion, organ function, et cetera. So yeah, so really, really definitely a number of immediate improvements for reducing the alcohol intake. Okay. I'm not sure how many Gen Zs listen to the show, but you know, health priorities 
for men sort of changes as we age. So can we walk through the different ages? And I think maybe we should spend a little more time with maybe, I don't know, millennials and us older folk. And I'm, I'm putting myself into that camp with like, <laughs> like Gen X and, and boomers. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So starting sort of in the teenage sort of years, um, that's really when our bone health is developing and we're we're laying down a lot of bone mass. So we're going to really want to focus on getting enough calcium and vitamin D. You know, I think even just the conversation of food versus supplements, vitamin D is something that at least in Canada or even North America, pretty much everyone should be supplementing with. Those are going to be the key years to focus on during the teen years. Our energy requirements are a little bit higher during that time too. So just making sure we're getting enough calories and energy for that proper growth and development. And then I guess if we head into that next category of young adults, you know, and that could be, I guess, millennials, we, that's, our muscle mass starts to decline sort of in and around the age of 30, slowly as the years goes on. But we definitely want to make sure we're um, maintaining that muscle mass. So that includes getting enough protein in our diet, spreading protein throughout the day. Also, even just non-food related, just making sure we're getting at least two strengthening sessions during our day is really important. Or sorry, our week is really important. And then heading into sort of middle age, that's where we see an increased incidence of cardiovascular disease. So um, really kind of focusing on food and lifestyle choices that improve our heart health. So, you know, trying to get in that sort of at least 150 minutes a week of moderate physical activity. So anything from walking, gardening, you know, things like tennis, et cetera, are helpful. But in terms of food, that's why I actually like to see people maybe incorporate more plants into their diet. So things like beans are helpful, soy, for example, too. And then when we kind of get into that sort of, um, you know, older adult sort of time in our life, that's where sometimes we see concerns around nutrient absorption. So sometimes we're not getting enough B vitamins from our food, B12 uh, specifically. And then again, that's also too where that increased incidence of osteoporosis tends to happen. So we definitely want to make sure, again, similar to the teenage years, that we're just trying to maintain that, that bone mass. So getting enough calcium and vitamin D in our diet is super important. So I know that's a ton of information I threw at you there, but uh, hopefully those are some some highlights for each uh, lifestyle stage. No, that, that was helpful. Are there any health risks that can be found more commonly in men that they should be aware of? And if so, mm-hmm. what should they be doing to prevent? Yes, yeah. So in men, there actually tends to be an, um, an increased incidence of cardiovascular disease. So from hypertension, high blood pressure, um, heart diseases, even diabetes as well. And similar to what I was kind of saying before um, in the previous question, we really know the power of more plant-based foods and more of a plant-based diet, not suggesting everyone needs to go vegan and cut out meat altogether, but It's a good idea to reduce that red meat intake, limit it to no more than twice a week. And then, you know, maybe we enjoy sort of some red meat at that time, but just trying to that twice a week is a good kind of amount to stay within for red meat. In terms of processed meats, so things like deli meats, we really don't want to be consuming those. Those can actually, those have been tied to the risk for certain types of cancers that are more prevalent in men, like colorectal cancer. So really trying to limit that. And then, yeah, again, maybe we have some meatless meals throughout the week. Maybe let's have, you know, throw some tofu on the barbecue. Maybe not for Father's Day, but maybe we experiment that with that another day. Maybe we do some bean salads and bean chilies, et cetera. That's going to really help to reduce our cholesterol in our blood pressure as well. Okay. And what sort of activities are more beneficial for men in their health as opposed to women? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think sort of, especially too, as we're getting to ages where our muscle mass is starting to decline over the years, we want to get in those two strengthening sessions each week. So that can be with body weight um, or that can be lifting weights as well. Um, So we really want to try to um, reduce that muscle mass decline. And then as well too, again, that sort of 150 minutes a week minimum of that moderate intensity aerobic activity. So especially the aerobic activity, that's really helpful for that heart health. So I think that's something that that can be overlooked. But um, yeah, those are those keys to get in during that time. Okay. And among your male clients, what do you find they tend to overlook in their diet and health that maybe they should be more aware of? Right, right. You know what? I think often we overlook how much fiber we're getting. And most people I work with aren't getting enough fiber. And we know fiber is helpful for digestion. But sort of what I mentioned before, too, fiber can be helpful for keeping that cholesterol at bay, especially during that middle age where cholesterol tends to be higher and we see more males being placed on cholesterol-lowering medications. Let's take a preventative you know, sort of lens on this. And even using a food tracker like MyFitnessPal, you know, we can see how much fiber we're getting each day. So males should be getting close to 40 grams of fiber a day. So it, will just, it would just be interesting to kind of input, um, let's say, a few days of eating and see where we're landing there for fiber. So, and then, yeah, getting enough fiber, too, can reduce risk for certain types of cancers prevalent in men, like the colorectal cancer again. So, and again, just getting more plants in our diet, too, are great ways to, uh, to increase that fiber amount. What are some of the common myths that men believe would improve their health when in reality they're not being benefited as much as they might think they are? Yeah, I think there's, there tends to be sort of an overemphasis on supplements. And some supplements, I think, can be helpful depending on the circumstance. Like I mentioned before, with the vitamin D, that's definitely a helpful supplement. But there's a lot of supplements on store shelves, you know, ranging from, you know, pre-workouts to, you know, different protein supplements, which which can have their place. But I, I think we should focus less on supplements and more on the whole foods. We're going to get a ton more benefit from whole foods. And even just maybe to piggyback off of the one comment about protein powders, I think there's also almost an overemphasis on getting a ton of protein in our diet. Yes, we need a certain amount, but I find sometimes, specifically with the men that I work with in my my clinic, they tend to be sort of overdoing it with the protein. And I think the concern with that is if we're getting too much protein, we're actually displacing certain nutrients like fiber, you know, and some other ones as well. So again, that's where a food tracker could come in, um, like MyFitnessPal, and see how much grams of protein we're getting in a day and look at the other nutrients as well. Is it that they're replacing like the fruits and vegetables and, and other food groups with the proteins or is it just they're eating too much altogether? Yeah, I think a bit of both. Like, you know, for example, if we're having, you know, um, four eggs or more for breakfast and maybe that's about it, you know, we're kind of missing an opportunity to, you know, to throw in a fruit serving or a vegetable serving and just kind of missing that balance a little bit. So I think, I think certainly a bit of both. There just, you know, really needs to be a balance overall. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. That was Nicole Osinga. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss type 2 diabetes in seniors on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. 
They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. It's estimated that 11.7 million Canadians, or one-third of our population, lives with pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes, and nearly half, 48% of these Canadians, are 65 or over. A diabetes diagnosis is scary. In going online, you're likely to find stigmas, stereotypes, and myths surrounding type 2 diabetes impact. We're going to speak with Monique Lafremboise from Ottawa. Monique was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of 48. Today, she's 70 years young and has kindly made time to share her disease journey and tips about living her best life with type 2 diabetes with us today. Welcome to the show, Monique. How are you? I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm doing pretty well. So how was your type 2 diabetes diagnosed? What were the circumstances? If I remember well, like it's been a while, right? It's going on 22 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so if I remember well, it was just like a routine uh, checkup by my doctor. And of course, we have a diabetes uh, type 1 in the family. And I guess she was checking for type, you know, for blood sugar levels. And it just happened that she uh, discovered, because I don't remember being unwell, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, so I, I believe it was through a routine checkup. And when you got the news, it must have been a surprise to you. How did you, how did you feel about it? If I remember well, I was in shock, and I didn't know what to do about it. Like, you feel like, uh, you, you know, you, you know that it's a disease that has to be dealt with, but you don't know what to do with it, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So I was basically in shock, and I guess waiting for somebody to tell me what to do with that situation. Okay. And so how does the diabetes impact you on a day-to-day basis now? I mean, you've been living with it for, for two decades with the knowledge that you have it. So Yeah. Day-to-day, I guess unconsciously, I'm conscious of, <laughs> it sounds funny to put it this way, but I, I just automatically careful with what I, I eat and the portions. And not saying that I don't eat sweets or, you know, cakes and stuff like that, but I, I'm careful on the quantity of food that I eat throughout the day. And I do uh, exercise during the week to permit myself to have more a little bit more quantity of maybe sweets once in a while, you know, for during sure. the week. Yeah, yeah, all together. Yeah, I just go through each day. Um, like I say, just being careful of what I eat and the portions, and you know, monitoring my my blood sugars, of course. And so that's basically what I do. So now that you're aware that you have diabetes, are you noticing? Like, are you noticing if you're fatigued or tired, or or if you're feeling dizzy, or any of the manifestations of diabetes? I know there's a situation called um, hypoglycemia, yep. and uh, that's uh, low blood sugar. And um, I think that's mostly for people that are on, on uh, insulin. I think it's more prevalent for people on uh, insulin. But on the day-to-day, um, I find that sometimes around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I do get a bit 
Um, I don't know uh, how to call it. Just uh, I just feel it like uh, my system tells me, you know, you need something like a, a little treat, you know, like either, um, and I usually have walnuts or uh, like some nuts. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what I enjoy. So, so you, feel pe- I mean, you, you, can, you feel peckish. You're a little bit hungry at that time of day. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can have a fruit too. Like, you know, certain fruits are better than, than others. But uh, sometimes I like to have dates. But the problem is with dates, you can only have two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're full of sugar, right? Like there's a lot of sugar. Yep. So that's basically how I deal with it. I just have a little snack or something. Uh, if I'm uh, outside, let's say, uh, I just have uh, wal- uh, walnuts in my purse or something like that. So in doing that, are you managing your blood sugar levels? Like, are you? Is it just making sure that you're having regular food intake or are there other things that you're doing to help manage the issue of your blood sugar levels? I just took a note there. And to make sure that I don't have low blood sugar, what I do is I make sure that each meal, especially lunch and dinner, that I have um, protein. I find protein uh, sustains you throughout the day and that's for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, anybody... Uh, all humans should be eating proteins, right? It's it's good, and I find that uh, helps a lot in my case. Just to, you know, prevents me from having uh, low blood sugar, and of course, I have my carbohydrates and you know, like a full meal, like good meals. I got it with bread or you know, some type of carb, and uh, I, I that seems to help me a lot. Are you dealing with diabetes on your own, or do you have people that are assisting you with your care? No, the only person that really uh, takes care of my diabetes with me is my family doctor. Like I go for um, A1C blood tests every three months or more, like sometimes six months if I'm doing well. (laughs) It depends on the family doctor. But uh, besides that, I have newsletters from uh, Diabetes Care Community and uh, from Diabetes Canada. And they're good with support uh, suggestions, like for recipes, and and they talk a lot about different care, you know, like eye care, foot care, you know, stuff like that. And they they give a lot of good information. I've also participated in um, online uh, conferences with Diabetes Canada. Uh, and actually been uh, discussing diabetes with other diabetics, you know. So that's, I find that's a good support. And I always say if you can find uh, support like uh, in your region, like face-to-face, you know, like you meet up with people that have diabetes, that would be more interesting. But online is fine, too. It's, it's pretty good. You know, you get a lot of information and you feel like you're being supported in some ways, you know. What would you tell somebody who's been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes? What should they know based on your experience? Based on my experience, when I first was diagnosed at 48, and even today I find uh, people don't know what diabetes is. People think uh, you can't eat sugar, and that's it's not that at all. <laughs> it's right. more elaborate than that. But uh, if somebody's just diagnosed, I would suggest they find a support system in their area if possible. And if not, go online and try to get somebody, you know, some people online or like Diabetes Canada or the Diabetes Care Community, and and they will assist you in the sense you can ask questions, I'm sure, and stuff like that, too. I found that the first six years or maybe more of of my diagnostic, I found that I was a bit lost, and if it would have been controlled better at the beginning, I don't think I would have 
increased, you know, like the disease wouldn't have increased. But mind you, I was told that it's, uh, in my case, it's genetic, like there's diabetes on both sides of the family. My parents, a nephew who's a type 1 diabetic, and another brother who's a type 2. So it runs in the family, <laughs> so it's genetic. So that's a bit harder to control, I was told. So, But I think a good support group, you know, do it on your own, even online, and, and join like Diabetes Canada or the Diabetes Care Community. And take your information from there, and it's going to help you morally, too. And, um, of course, do exercise, find something you enjoy. And I think that's basically what it is, because you can't dwell on it all the time. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you have diabetes, deal with it, find ways of dealing with it better, and and take care of your blood uh, sugar levels, and then just live. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way I look at it. And do you have any tips for living well? Any anything specific? I think, especially for uh, people over (laughs) sixty-five, I I find that it's uh, to keep a good um, mental and physical, um, especially a, a good mental attitude towards aging. Because And then don't let yourself get down with uh, you're getting old, because I certainly don't feel like I'm, I'm old <laughs> at right. 70. And um, I think uh, doing exercise helps a lot because it helps your physical and your mental health. And um, I think being around people that, uh, and talk about, you know, like uh, tell people that you, you are a diabetic, but tell them you know, you're just living day to day, you're living your life, you know, and, and you don't need any, uh, uh, any special diet. You just, you're the one who controls your portions and, and what you're eating, you know, so they won't make them uncomfortable when you tell them that type thing. So, so what type of exercise are you doing now? Last question. I'm, I'm an avid uh, Nordic walker, like the, or they call it uh, urban polling. Yeah. <laughs> so I do my exercise that way. I walk sometimes five, six kilometers, uh, two, three times a week. I also started taking Zumba classes, which are finishing uh, next week. So I'm going to take those back in uh, September, in the fall. And in the winter, sometimes um, I go snowshoeing, which is pretty good, too. Or just a normal walk. And if the weather is not nice, like because in the winter sometimes you have um, ice storms and stuff like that, I, I just put uh, things on YouTube and find exercise there and do it in the house. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure to talk about it. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Greg Lindbergh, Nicole Osinga, and Monique Laframboise. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine, which is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air. 
and The Garden Show.